Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> that's so cool because that's exactly how I'm greeted every time I come home. Kathy stands up. <laughs> cheers. It's awesome. <laughs> Kathy and I moved here in 1987. There were five of us. And, uh, <clears throat> and, and, and now there are soon to be 20 of us. And uh, so I just want you to know, if you come to this church for any length of time, that's what happens. <laughs> so it's really cool to be here. We are pastor couple of Salzburg International Christian Church in Salzburg, Austria. Uh, it's a great place to be. We love it. It's an expat church. People from all over the world come, come to this church, and, uh, and they uh, speak English as a second language. And so it's an English-speaking church. And we're very, very happy to be there. But I have to say, it's very, it's very special to be back here with, with all of you. And so, uh, I want to also say that your future here at CLC is, is incredible. It's incredible. Because I know your leaders. I know your elders, the PNC, and, all, and your staff. You have incredible leaders here. And God is going to honor their faithfulness and you are going to be blessed. Now, our topic, yes, 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 yes. <clears throat> so, our topic today is heaven. And uh, so, with that topic in mind, the story is told of a pope and the pope and, uh, and a lawyer, both of whom died on the same day. They went to the gates of heaven. St. Peter said, welcome them and, and took them to their uh, places of residence. They first went to where the uh, Pope was going to be housed, and it was very Spartan, a wooden building, wooden table to sit at, and um, <clears throat> wooden, wooden uh, bed, actually. And then he took the liar to where he was going to be housed, and it was magnificent. Gardens spectacularly uh, maintained water features, a palace with gold inlay. And the lawyer said, what are you doing? This is a mistake. The Pope deserves to be here. And St. Peter said, well, um, you know what? Had many popes here over the years. You're our first lawyer. <laughs> so I apologize if you're a lawyer. I, whatever. There's hope for you, though. That, that's a thing for you to know. The other, there's another story that's told of three policemen who died on the same day. And they all stood before St. Peter, and he asked them, what would you like somebody to say about your uh, life on earth? The first one said, I want, I want uh, them to be able to say at my funeral, I was a faithful cop. I stood brave in the face of duty. The second one said, I want people to know that I was faithful to my job, my family, and I was uh, responsible in my job. Third one said, well, I want uh, people to say, at my funeral, uh, look, he's moving. And so none of us want to die, right? And so here's what I was taught when I first became a Christian. It's that, um, that cross right there. Because of that cross and what Jesus did on the cross, uh, dying for our sins, dying for my sin, and uh, forgiving me for it, if I believe in him and follow him, I get to go to heaven when I die. When I die, That was the gospel. And I want you to know that's a true story. But along the way, I began to uh, have questions. You know, and I began to wonder, is that the whole picture? It seemed like something was missing. 
And as the years went on, as a pastor here, uh, I began to have my eyes opened. And I began to see that there was indeed something missing. And that's what this service is about, uh, what was missing, and uh, to see what was in front of me all along but had missed. And that changed everything. So here's the story, the big story. Over here, uh, we can say this is the beginning. God created everything. God spoke. And God spoke the entire universe, cosmos, earth, everything into existence. God uh, created uh, the planet with beauty and, and uh, you know, uh, sun, moon, um, stars, the vegetation, the magnificent uh, beauty of this cosmos, especially planet Earth, and God did that. He also put, created human beings, and the purpose of human beings uh, to be created there was for them to be partners with this uh, great God in creating a culture, in creating a flourishing world where human beings, nature, human beings, and God would in complete harmony develop a flourishing, uh, vibrant uh, culture on planet Earth. It was to be almost like a holy trinity in that way. Now, that was the picture, and it's a great picture. You see your purpose in that. That's what our purpose on earth is, partners with God. Now, uh, then what happened is human beings sort of developed this uh, rebellion. We became rebels. Every one of us still has a little rebel or a big rebel within us. It was a rebellion against accepting our purpose on planet Earth. And so that rebellion played itself out. Essentially, the way the Bible says it, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And we all do that same thing. We want to do things our way. And so it's sort of like the rest of the history of humanity became the Game of Thrones. I never saw that, but the title sounds exactly right. Nation against nation, ideology against ideology, um, tribe against tribe, person against person, and the result is death, right? Spiritual death, we're separated from God. Physical death, 20th century was the most brutal um, uh, century on planet Earth. And so, and, and so here we are. We are captives of sin, my desire to do things my way as opposed to God's, my rebellion. I'm a captive to death, spiritual death, and physically I die. And the third thing we are captive of is there's a dark power over this world. The calls the principalities and powers uh, of this dark world, Satan. So those three things are the result. What God did, instead of leaving it that way, God started a revolution against um, sin, against death, against Satan. And the way the revolution began is he, bigger than all the universes, Excuse me, there's somebody here who doesn't like that. <laughs> there are, bigger than anything that could exist. Um, he, he invades. He doesn't bring power with him. He doesn't bring armies. He comes and reduces himself down, down, down to a little seed within the womb of a teenager named Mary. 
That's how the revolution began. And immediately the battle starts. You know, difficulty in getting from Beth, uh, Nazareth to, to Bethlehem. And right after he's born, the Herod uh, has all the babies under two years old uh, killed in, in, in Bethlehem and uh, tried to kill Jesus. And right after Jesus is, is baptized, he, he goes into the the desert with Satan and confronts him and then mobs during Jesus' ministry try to kill him and finally they succeed. Rome, in collaboration with um, the religious leaders, kill him and he's dead, dying on the cross and here's the first victory on that cross. Jesus um, preemptively in that moment forgives all of humanity of its rebellion, its sin. He, he grants amnesty to rebels. That's us. And because of that, he, the representative human on the cross, taking all of our rebellion on himself, sets us free. We are set free from sin. And we now can join God without that barrier that we've caused. Secondly, death is defeated because Jesus rose, rose from the dead. He's no longer dead, he's alive. And uh, you, because of that, will not die. You are going to live forever and there's nothing you can do about it. You can decide uh, where you plan to spend that eternity but death has been defeated. It's over. And finally, Jesus had been uh, killed, and that was the worst uh, that evil could do to God in Jesus, yet he arose from the grave. If you've ever seen the lion, witch, in the wardrobe, you've seen Aslan on the stone table, dead, and the white witch and all of the people um, triumphing, triumphantly uh, rejoicing over the death of God. But what happens? He just got up again. The life and power of God overcame the power of evil to uh, do what it wants. In those three things, God has already won the victory. How many of you saw the Chronicles of Narnia? Good, good. God bless you. God bless you. Uh, I'm glad... I'm glad that you did because when you, when you do meet God at the, at, the, at the gates and he asks you, did you read the Chronicles of Narnia? You can say yes. The rest of you, I don't know what you're going to say. Now, here's the fourth thing is that what God did for Jesus in taking this dead, uh, mangled, humanity and bringing him into a glorious new life, God is also going to do for this planet and for the cosmos and for you. Look at this verse. For Jesus must remain in heaven until, until, the time for the final restoration of all things. Restoration, not elimination. Restoration of all things 
Nothing left out, as God promised. Peter says, here's what restoration is. The promised new earth. This is what the early Christians believed. This is what changed the world. We do not escape from this world and go somewhere else, but heaven is wrought to earth and it's restored. Now, here's on that day uh, when my strength is failing and the end draws dear, near and my time is, is close, uh, you know that song that we sing, A Thousand Reasons? Each of us are going to have a time when we die. And uh, when that happens, uh, dust to dust, you know? Physical body into the earth, and uh, probably over there at New London Cemetery, and everybody will stand around and cry. Um, at least you hope people are sad. And then, and then you go back to Houston Hall and have potato salad. And, and it's probably served by Alan and Cheryl Jones and Diane Baumann. So, but you won't be dead. There is still a you that is alive. Neurologists have a debate going on. You can read about this in Lee Strobel's new book called uh, The Case for Heaven. Neurologists uh, have a battle about this. Does the brain produce consciousness, or does consciousness exist apart from the brain and only uses the brain in this life? The Bible agrees with the latter, that there is a you, a consciousness, a soul that exists after death. Uh, some near-death experiences have been discounted, but so many of them are uh, I find so valid. Anyway, you will exist. And the Bible says it is appointed to us to die once and face the judgment. So we face judgment. Now, I want to say this. Judgment is a good thing. We need judgment. Because imagine you spend your whole life here doing your best, working hard, trying to be uh, the best person you can be, doing the best you can with your family and work and all of that. And then you finally die and you wake up and there's nothing there. No judge, no one to say what you did had any meaning at all and you look and think, wow, it was all meaningless. We are built to matter and have that life that mattered be affirmed. On the other hand, imagine you get there and um, everybody is there. Everybody got away with everything. There are no scales, no judgment, no sin, no evil. All your efforts to be moral and do things right and be godly didn't matter. Violators face no justice. On the other hand, imagine that you know that God will deal justly with all things, including evil, and that nobody gets away with anything. All wrongs will be righted. Everything will be rectified. And because you trust God, 
to do that, to make those judgments, to balance those scales, you don't have to take the law into your own hands in this life. It's argued by some that that's the reason we can be peacemakers. It's not up to us. Uh, God will uh, set things right. Now, not only that, my own wrongs, my own sin, my own evil, and I want us to know there is a rebel in me. The line between good and evil runs right down the middle of me. And so when I face the judgment, I can face it with confidence because no matter how hard I try to be right, I can't be but Jesus having to forgiven all sin. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. I know that I have been set right with God and he has opened the door for me to enter into heaven. I don't need to pad my resume. I don't need to uh, get a fake ID. Why? Because it is by grace that I am saved not by anything that I can do. And so I, it's almost, yes, so I've got the ticket. Now, here we go. Meet, at that time we meet the blazing goodness of God. Here I stand before the blazing goodness of God. And there's one, or, one of two reactions. Either I look at that goodness and am enthralled and humbled by it, and fall to my knees and say, thank you, God, for being so good and that you gave me the gift of being able to look forward to seeing goodness inexplicable and grateful to Jesus for the cross, or I will be so horrified by it, so turned off by it, so repelled by it, because I was always repelled by God on this planet, and I was repelled by Christianity, and it will be, and I will run from it. And as I run, I choose my own destiny, which is that of a weeping, gnashing of teeth, anger, bitterness, regret, the fires of my hate against God, and I become less and less human. And like Schmeagel, the hobbit became a sub-hobbit, Gollum. And to me, that's a, one of the best pictures of hell I know of. But now, here's the thing. Um, I, through Jesus, and, and he's, he forgives the planet. Don't forget that. Um, just like the thief on the cross, Jesus said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Paradise. He talks about heaven as paradise. And, and now, it won't be clouds and harps. I do believe there will be some sort of physicality in heaven, but heaven is not our destination. It's as if I get on a plane in Philadelphia and my destination is Hawaii. I have a stopover in Pittsburgh. And Pittsburgh, in this analogy, is like heaven. 
I mean, can you imagine a better example? And then to, uh, for rest and refreshment and joy and beauty, and it's more magnificent than anything that you could imagine. But it's not your destination. It's the stopover until the final destination, which is Hawaii. Actually, a better example would be we get on the plane, go to Pittsburgh, while Philadelphia is being renovated. <laughs> and you wait there until the final restoration renovation of Philadelphia, and then you come back. That is the picture of the Bible. By the way, it is this belief that uh, the early Christians had that changed the destiny of the Western world. Now, okay, so, now, you are in heaven now. You've died and you're in heaven. You could be there that long. You could be there a thousand years because in God's eyes, a thousand years is like a day. A day is like a thousand years. The Bible says time will be no more, so we don't know. But one day, one day, Jesus will return bringing heaven and those who are in heaven to earth. Heaven will blanket earth. Evil will be dispelled. Listen to this verse. In Revelation 21, we see New Jerusalem coming down from heaven as a, to earth. I heard a voice thunder from the throne. Look, look, God is making his home where? With men and women on earth. They are his people. He is their God. Every tear gone, death gone, um, crying gone, pain gone. The enthroned one says, look, I am making everything new. He doesn't say I'm making new things. I'm making everything that exists renewed. Everything that was wrecked on this planet will be remade. It will be restored. Notice this verse. Until the restoration of all things. It's in Acts and in Matthew, Jesus says that. Jesus says, at the restoration renewal, rebuilding, reconstituting of that which is now, that will all find itself in the new creation. There's a huge misunderstanding uh, in Christianity. We do not escape this planet to go to heaven while all of this disappears and now I'm in heaven in bliss. That's not what the Bible teaches. What the Bible teaches is, is that it's like this. Suppose Kathy has wonderful dishes. You know, what's that called? China. She has China. And, and she loves it. And we're going to renovate the kitchen. So she takes the China and she puts it upstairs in a magnificent box and it's upstairs. Now, meanwhile, we renovate the whole kitchen. Now, after the kitchen is done, what's she gonna do with the china? Leave it upstairs? Of course not. 
She's bringing the china down to the renewed, renovated kitchen for the purpose of that china, which is to serve us and to serve others. The china will be living out the purpose for which it was made. Now, at that point, when heaven comes to earth, you are given a new body, like Jesus' body. Look at this. When Jesus appears, you will be like Jesus. Our body is sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. But spiritual body does not mean non-physical. It means I will have a physical body better than this one. But, yeah, hard to imagine, right? Kathy's saying hard to imagine. So, but I will be animated by God, God's spirit, not by all of my terrible, selfish, self-oriented thoughts. That's what spiritual means. The Apostles' Creed says, we Christians believe in the resurrection of the body. So does the Nicene Creed say this. And so our bodies will be such that Jesus was not recognized after his resurrection, then he was recognized. He materialized into a locked room, dematerialized out of a locked room. He ate, talked, taught. It was physical and real, but different and more magnificent. Something like that is what we will be. Now, the Bible gives hints about what the new earth will be like. And, and so let's look at some of those hints. In 1962, Florence Chadwick uh, swam the English Channel. And she decided to try also to swim from um, Catalina Island in the Pacific to the uh, shore of California. So she started swimming. And uh, she got to about the 16, 17 mile marker. The shore wasn't that far off. It was foggy. And her mother was in the boat beside her was saying, keep up, Florence, don't give up. But her body was aching. She was freezing. She was emotionally drained. Couldn't see the shore. And they pulled her into the boat. She didn't make it. Next day, at the press conference, she was asked, what happened? And she said, I believe if I could have only seen the shore, I could have made it. This next period of uh, time in this message is about helping you to see the shore. Get a glimpse of it. There's this great verse. The all these people of the Bible, um, Moses, uh, Elijah, Elisha, etc. Guess what it says? They did not receive during this life what was promised to them. They didn't receive it. But they saw it and received it from afar because they knew the new coming creation 
was their destiny. And in knowing it, being able to see it, they were able to receive it, and it made a difference in this life. Uh, Glory, I was watching Anderson Cooper on CNN. And by the way, if you're wondering, it's all right for a Christian to watch CNN. And so Anderson Cooper said, my mother just passed away. And his mother is Gloria Vanderbilt, socialite, had everything. And Anderson Cooper said her favorite song was, Is That All There Is? Sung in 1969, and it was a woman, Peggy Lee, and she remembered going to the circus with her dad, um, falling in love, etc. After each one, she said, well, if that's all there is, my friend, then let's keep on dancing. Let's break out the booze, if that's all there is. Gloria Vanderbilt knew, despite having everything, it still wasn't that which fulfilled. I don't know where she was spiritually, but the point is made. The slaves, American slavery. I read this from an African-American scholar who said, all those spirituals, swing low, sweet chariot, come and afford to carry me home. They weren't just escape mechanisms. They were a real hope. Because when the slaves sang, they knew their destiny was there, but they also knew everything that they did on this planet Earth. All that work, all their effort to try to care for one another carried over into the new world. It was because of the hope of the new world that they were able to flourish, in a sense, in the worst of circumstances. It enabled them to live, not just survive. And so... Let's talk about other fulfillments. God richly provides all things for our enjoyment here on earth. Life, food, sports, relationships, parenting, sex, puppies, learning, all within the right context. He gives us these great things, but they do not fulfill us in this earth. They are only dim pointers to their ultimate fulfillment on the new earth. They are foretastes, appetizers, signposts pointing beyond themselves. You can have the best marriage on planet earth, but you who have the best know that that in itself still leaves a void to be fulfilled. A foretaste is not a meal. If you try to survive on foretastes, you'll starve. A signpost is not a destination. Imagine you take your family to Disney, and you're driving, driving, driving. You see a sign for Disney World, and instead of going to Disney World, you stop at the signpost. And you get out, and you say, kids, we're here. <laughs> Therefore, do not let Satan trick you into making temporary pleasures into idols because your temporary pleasures on this earth are mistaken for, for, for fulfillment, they will leave you in despair. Second, you, like I said, will have a physical body. 
our lowly bodies will be like his glorious body. This life is preparing us for an incomparable weight of glory. And the diversity of our bodies will be astonishing and they will be glorious. People you tend to dismiss now, were you to meet them now as they will be, you would fall down in uh, awe in seeing them. And this tells us something, doesn't it? Is that... Um, that means I need to spend time on this earth with those people that I tend to dismiss, looking at them, not as I see them now, but as God sees them and as they will be. When you see me, you will say, whoa, so that's who you were all along. And people ask, what age will you be in heaven? My best answer is all ages, all at once. Therefore, practice seeing people that way. Next, there will be a restored earth. Creation waits in eager expectation, as in the pains of childbirth, groaning. I think of the winds going through the trees and, and all the rustling. I, the groaning of planet earth as a live organism and it's waiting to be set free from its bondage to decay. The most magnificent beauty that you see on planet Earth will only be a dim shadow of what will be there when the creation is set free. Christians are the best environmentalists. We aren't to use this Earth just as a, a tool for my... Uh, well-being. No, we are partners and we're responsible for it. And then, relationships will be restored. Um, 2 Corinthians 5 says we need, we are called as Christians to settle relationships. One theologian said your first hour in heaven will be spent seeking out others with whom you have been at odds and willingly wanting to say, please forgive me. Please forgive me for my part in our breakup. And the other will say, oh, I've been wanting to say the same thing to you. That's our first hour in heaven. Some of you are sitting here thinking, when I'm in heaven, I know that person over there will be in heaven too. I just hope we don't run into each other. It won't be like that. And uh, I also want to say marriage. Uh, I remember somebody years ago in the lobby over at NLPC saying, basically, because I won't be married in heaven, I'm mad at God. The Bible does not say you won't be married in heaven. The Bible says there will be no new marrying, which means... If I'm married to Kathy and what God put together, let no man put asunder, and it's a good thing, God doesn't break up good things. He enhances them. Our relationship and mine to yours, everything will be enhanced and improved. Somebody asked about pets. Here's what I've concluded, and I've studied this. Really. And um, 
If you have a wonderful relationship with a pet, that pet loves you, you love the pet. I think there are animals in heaven. Look, if nature is going to be restored, so will animals be. And if you had a special relationship and God isn't going to let it, he's going to restore all things, right? That would include that relationship. It's my take. I'm right. I hope you accept that. <laughs> Resolution. One of my biggest fears, disappointments, has been that there are those who have passed away, including in my family, with whom there are unresolved issues. Uh, failed efforts with a good intent and failures uh, with less honorable intent. And I, the Bible says, I am not just forgiven for that. It says all things will be not just forgiven, but rectified, made right, fulfilled, reconciled. You do not have to die with the fear of things being ultimately unresolved because the unresolved will be resolved. And that's a beautiful thing. One more thing. Jobs. And this is, I think, unbelievable. You will have jobs to do on the new earth. The Son of Man will rule gloriously. You who have followed me will also rule, says Jesus on the new earth. You, we will be a kingdom of priests. Priests connect people to people and connect people to God, and there's organization in that. And they will, listen to this, reign. You, me, will reign on earth. Are you kidding me? Can you imagine that? It's hard to, it is hard to imagine. In other words, that purpose for which you were built back in Genesis to build a culture of flourishing, loving humanity and earth and God all together will be restored. And if, if we're restoring all of that, I think it makes sense to say not only will culture be restored, art restored to what it was meant to be, commerce, the whole deal, and our purpose. Listen to this verse. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain whenever you have done anything for your purpose on life out of it. It will find itself in the new creation, not wasted, but used as part of building the final consummation of all things. The gospel isn't just what you're saved from. Once you know you're saved from sin, from death, from evil, now you know what you're saved for. 
to be kingdom of God bringers to earth. Not to escape, but to transform what you see in front of you, where you are. This purpose is available to every person on the planet earth. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how rich or poor you are. It doesn't matter what race or tribe or ethnicity. It doesn't matter where you live. That purpose can be lived right where you are to be a heaven to earth bringer to the little world around you. And finally, and I'm just wondering, wow, it's only 10 o'clock. Does that mean I have another half hour? <laughs> kidding, kidding. Expansiveness. There will be on the new earth, and it's bigger than I can imagine, a never-ending newness. No such thing as boredom. It will be ever-renewing, ever-creating. Why? Because God is ever-renewing, ever-creating, ever-expansive. The New Testament word for heaven means expansiveness of the sky. Now, I want to read to you from the last book in the Chronicles of Narnia. And once again, I just want to ask, how many of you have read all seven books of the Chronicles of Narnia? Let's see. Way to go. Way to go. There's another one. There's another one. There's at least three. This is incredible. That means, as I mentioned earlier, God is going to be very pleased with you. But the rest of you, you don't have to read the Chronicles of Narnia to get into heaven. But listen, why take a chance? <laughs> now, at the end of Narnia, where these children go and have adventures in this kingdom, um, and the old Narnia has finally been renewed into the new Narnia, a new Narnia with, uh, as a new creation. And they get there. They are there. And one of the animals who is with the children is a unicorn. And he says, oh, I have come home at last. I have been looking for this all my life. Come on, children, further up and further in. Further up and further in. Every step I take is deeper and more beautiful in its never-ending depth of beauty. But then Aslan looks at the children and he sees Lucy and he says to her, you just don't look as happy as I want you to be. And Lucy says, um, oh, we're all so afraid of you sending us back into the old Narnia. We love it here. And their hearts leapt, and a wild hope arose when Aslan said, no fear of that, children. 
Haven't you guessed? There really was a railway accident, said Aslan softly. Your father and mother and all of you are, as they used to call it in the Shadowlands, dead. But now, but now, the term is over, the holidays have begun, the dream is ended, this is the morning. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and so beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. But now at last, now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. So, if you are wondering how you can get this future for yourself, it's both very simple and the biggest thing you can ever do. And that is simply lay down your arms, surrender to God, give up, and say, okay, God, I'm yours. And give up your rebellion and say yes to God who has already said yes to you. Just surrender. And then ask him to lead. And when he does lead, through prayer and reading the Bible, being in church, whatever, whenever he does lead, obey him, follow him. And ask him for the help to do so. And whenever you've done your best to follow, just say this, to God be the glory. And it will be to his glory every time you attempt to follow. And so, um, I'd like to take a moment of silent prayer right now for you to be able to say to God, whatever God leads you to say to him. Let's pray in silence.
Amen.
And now, <clears throat> unto him who can do exceedingly... Let me see if I, it's on. And now unto him who can do exceedingly more than all that you can hope or imagine according to his power at work within us. To him be the glory in Jesus Christ and in the church, in this church, forever and ever throughout all generations. And God bless you, everybody. Have a great week. Amen. Thank you.